150 years what to preach on for our sesquicentennial anniversary. There I said the word. I won't say it again. One time is enough. But I thought it fitting to preach last week on Psalm 150, and so we did that. We talked about praise the Lord, that we hail Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God. Uh, this fall, we're walking through, just beginning really, to walk through the book of First Samuel, which covers some of the history of God's people of old before they even had a king. We in 1 Samuel, we haven't even gotten to that point of them having their first king. And for round numbers, that history is circa 1100 to 1000 BC. And, uh, and yet here this morning, I thought, well, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward 500 years into a time in the history of God's people. And what has transpired? They got that king. Their first king, as we're going to find out this fall and coming weeks, their first king was chosen for the wrong reasons, and he wasn't a very good king at all. And their second king was much, much better, a man after God's own heart, and yet he had his own foibles and sins, and that created some real problems for him and his family and his kingship and the people of God. And so... During that 500-year span between then and the passage we're going to look at in just a moment, the kingdom split. They had kind of civil war, if you will. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and both of them failed to listen to the prophets that God sent to his own people, declaring the word to them, telling forth his word to them, and they didn't listen, and they didn't serve him only. And as a result, ultimately, when you get, oh, about to the book of Daniel, say around Numbers 600 B.C., God's people had to leave the Holy Land, and they were taken far, far away to Babylon, where they lived as strangers and exiles. During this time of exile, being away from their homeland, they had some false prophets rise up who said, don't worry, it'll be a short trip. Things will be better in no time, and we'll get to go home. And the prophet Jeremiah said, don't listen to them. God hasn't sent them. It's not going to be a short while. It's going to be a couple of generations. It's going to be 70 years. And that indeed came to pass. And then God raised up a foreign king, not even a king of Israel or Judah, a foreign king, a king of Persia named Cyrus, who said, this is the southern translation, y'all can go home. <laughs> And so that's what they did. They went back to the Holy Land, about 40,000 of them, and they began to work together to rebuild. And that's what the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible talk about. And when they made a little progress, they had a big wing ding, <laughs> kind of like we're going to do today. And we're going to see that sometimes rebuilding can be bittersweet. Sometimes it's a bit of a mixed bag. So you received at the door, I hope, if not, they're out in the narthex, a full page of sermon outline as one of your inserts. And we're only going to read a portion, a paragraph or three, from Ezra chapter three. Remember, folks got to go home and they got to begin the work of rebuilding. It was work. 
It was tedious because their city had been destroyed. Their place of worship had been destroyed. And they began to work together. And they thought, in the words of the great theologians, Cool and the gang, it was going to be celebrate good times. Come on. <laughs> and they came to find out maybe that wasn't exactly so, as we'll see. So here is our reading today. Would you give attention again to the public reading of Scripture? Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Josedach, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel." And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, would you come and add your blessing to the reading of your word? Would you help us to make sense of this? This social setting, this history, is so far removed from our own context now by 2,500 years and I don't know how many miles. And yet, you have seen fit to preserve it in your word for a purpose that we too might be instructed by it and we might be pointed to you, the God of glory, the God of steadfast love. So help us to believe your word and to appropriate it by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just to kind of preview where we're going to go with this thing. Rebuilding is bittersweet, as I've said. Um, and we're going to talk about the fact that it involves work. It's worth celebrating, and it, it, it can be a mixed bag. It involves work. Uh, Mary Lassiter, Carol Bain, others have been working their tails off just in the last couple of weeks. Get the outside of the building looking nice, get the inside of the building looking nice. And we're not concerned, concerned solely with the physical arrangements, 
but the spiritual health and vitality of our congregation. And we're trying to encourage people to come back and hear the word of God read and proclaimed and, and to uh, sit under the preaching of the gospel and to participate in the sacraments and ministries of the church. It involves work. It's worth celebrating. And yet, as we've read, and we'll expand on just for a, a bit, we can see that it's a, a, a mixed bag. So what had happened when these 40,000 people traveled back, a journey fraught with peril that probably took them four months to get back? You'd think that Ezra would include some of this travelogue in his account, and he doesn't. Now, we picked up at verse 8, the first seven verses talk about uh, that they reinstituted uh, worship on what had been the site of the great temple built by David's son, Solomon. And perhaps there was some sort of a make-do, makeshift altar where worship occurred, but it wasn't according to the specifications of the word of God in the law of Moses. So the first seven verses in Ezra 3 talk about that. They are very concerned with doing things according to the Bible, according to God's word, the law of Moses, verses 1 through 7, and in accordance with what King David instructed and taught them as we read in our paragraph. So they re rebuilt the altar first, and they began uh, daily sacrifices and were engaged in continual worship of their God. It's interesting, the reason annexed for this is because they were afraid. They were afraid of the people of the land. And so what did they do? They made sure that they worshiped the one true God together. I might have taken a different tack, just like I think Ezra, maybe if it was me, I'd have written about what that four-month journey was like. He skims right over it. I, if I was in charge here, it's a good thing I wasn't. I think I'd say, I'd say everybody go to your home and, and build it up and batten down the hatches because the, the bad guys are all around us and they're coming. That's not what they did. They made sure that the Lord God was offered sacrifices in accordance with the law of Moses and they celebrated one of the chief feasts of Israel, the Feast of Booths. I'm not going to expand on that feast uh, right now. So, rebuilding God's house is work. Of course, the scriptures tell us, unless the Lord builds the house, our labor is in vain. But they wanted to follow the law of Moses. Money had been given by King Cyrus. The people gave money to get lumber from Lebanon and, and Tyre, I believe, the other, the other foreign place. They didn't have their own timber or wood. The Holy Land is a very arid region, so they had to have that imported uh, by sea, just like King Solomon had done originally. And they were involved in praise, according to the directions of King David. All right? So rebuilding God's house is work. And we've seen that already just in my one year with you all here at Flat Branch. We have, we, in the spring, we studied the book of Titus together. And we talked about setting in order the things that remain. And I've tried to work with our elders and to provide some training in our uh, doctrinal statements. And then next, rebuilding God's house calls for celebration. So they made a little bit of progress. All they had really done is laid a couple of 
courses of stone on the site where Solomon's temple had previously been erected. And it was a, it was a glorious place by all accounts. And people from all over the ancient Mediterranean world went there to worship and to see that place that Solomon supervised the building of. But it had been raised, it had been leveled, it had been torn apart. Not one stone was left up on top of the other. And so when they did their little bit of rebuilding, they used smaller stones and stones that had been pushed over in the valley that were charred from fire. And in some ways, you know, it wasn't as good. It wasn't as large a footprint as they had had previously. And some of the oldie goldies, like David, who had been carried off into exile, into Babylon, when they were young boys or even teenagers, 70 years later, they came home, they rolled up their sleeves, they got to work, they made some progress, but some who had seen Solomon's temple upon its completion and the exercise of the sacrifices that were going on there every day, they looked at it and they thought, wow, it's just not up to snuff. It, it, it's just not as good. But the new generation who had lived as captives in Babylon, where there were no priestly rites, there were no sacrifices being offered, they'd never had the opportunity to worship together at the place that the Lord had instructed through his servants Moses and David. And they're fired up. They had energy. They were enthusiastic about it. And they said, let's celebrate. Let's shout for joy. And there was that responsive singing, just like we had the responsive reading with the kids in Psalm 136. For his steadfast love endures forever. His faithful, redeeming, covenant love in which the Lord always preserves a remnant, a people for his own possession. And they were glad about that. Well, of course, for us, if we think about it just for a moment, you know, yeah, Stuart, you're right. We, we, we built a new garbage enclosure. Woo! Progress, you know? But the work that they were doing was physical work that had spiritual implications. A lot of the work that we do in the church now, because we, like living stones, are being built up into a temple for the Lord, we are God's people, and he's building us up. And that's spiritual work that sometimes involves physical labor, like overseeing the carpets being cleaned or painting a door or, or, or various things. We're members of God's household. It talks about this not only in 1 Peter 2, but also in Ephesians 2. And so there was joy. There was jubilation. There was people shouting trumpets, sounding cymbals, clashing, just as we had talked about last week. Praise the Lord from Psalm 150, that sometimes it's to be loud and raucous, and there was this great cacophony of sound. But rebuilding God, God's house, as I've indicated, is sometimes met with mixed responses. What's going on is that some people are rejoicing, but some people are grieving. Now, we see this in the New Testament. I usually think about them as separate instances. It's in Romans, I think it's chapter 12. It says, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Well, that's fun to do, right? 
and weep with those who are weeping. And so sometimes in compassion, we put an arm around a grieving friend and we enter into them and into their sadness. Well, usually I think about those as being separate instances. Here in what we've read from Ezra 3, it was going on simultaneously. You've got some people who are fired up and other people are going, oh my goodness, is that all there is, my friend? Some people are rejoicing. The sound could be heard far away. But some people are grieving that they have memories of the past grandeur of Solomon's temple and its splendor. And so it's been said that the, the difference between expectations and reality, that gap is called disappointment. And that's what you had among some of God's people, mostly the older generation. There was disappointment, you know, it just... It's just not as good as it used to be. Uh, one commentator, Derek Kidner, calls this a spontaneous cry of disappointment. That's, that's what the cacophony of sound, all the noise going forth was, that mixed bag of joy and rejoicing along with grieving, wailing, sadness. And both were happening at the same time. Well, where do we go from here at Flat Branch? A few points to uh, make about this. Let's see, have I given you all your blanks yet? We talked about steadfast love. Oh, I skipped over and, uh, under point C. The restoration was only partial. Remember my line about cool and the gang celebrate good times come on? They, they thought that all we got to do is get back home. All we gotta do is get back home and then the, the, down in New Orleans in the spring, they have a saying, laissez les bons temps rouler, right? Let the good times roll, same thing. And they thought that's, that's what was gonna happen. We'll be back in the Holy Land, the place where God's glory dwelt and where he deigned to meet with his people. And we'll get the sacrifices going again and we'll get the rebuilding projects going again and then we'll all live happily ever after. And that didn't happen. If you continue to read in Ezra and then into Nehemiah, the, the work lies dormant for quite a while. Um, in fact, they don't finish the temple for 16 years, there's opposition from within and there's opposition from without. And they get distracted and they get discouraged and sometimes they're tempted to give up. And for 16 years, even though they made a start, the work lay dormant and they didn't finish it until one of the prophets, uh, the minor prophets are not of minor importance in the Bible, they're called the Minor Prophets because they're short books. And Haggai is one of those short books. And he had a short ministry. The, you know, some of these other prophets, they ministered for decades. You know how long Haggai's ministry lasted? Five months. Five months. But he challenged God's people. He exhorted them. You can read this in Haggai chapter 2, the first nine verses. He, he, he 
on the one hand, he rebuked them. What's going on here? You're, you're letting the work on the house of God go idle. You're not following through. You're not doing anything. On the other hand, the Lord had a word for them that encouraged them to rise up and to complete the work, to keep going. And if you look in Haggai chapter 2, the Lord says, My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And you know, in the Bible, when we hear that fear not, it's usually accompanied with a thought like that. For I am with you. For my spirit remains in your midst. You're not alone. God won't abandon his people. He's not done with us yet. I wouldn't be here if I thought he was done with Flat Branch yet. Anyway, where do we go from here at Flat Branch? Their restoration was only partial. Ultimately, the lesson that God's people of old had to learn, this is your third bullet point under letter C, is we're awaiting the consummation of all things in Christ. So they didn't live happily ever after. The work uh, proceeded in fits and starts. There were work stoppages, as I've indicated. Then they made some progress. They finished the temple. And even then, there was then decades, uh, centuries of silence when there was no word from the Lord until he sends his messengers, first John the Baptist, and then Jesus, who is the final temple of God. Jesus, who comes into the temple and cleanses it and ultimately gives his life. So, so where do we go from here at Flat Branch? A few points for you. Letter D in your outline. The first one is thank God for the godly heritage of Flat Branch. Thank God for the godly heritage. Carol, I thought you did an outstanding job starting our service this morning and thanking appropriate people. I thought that was great. And we need to appreciate the godly legacy and heritage of some people in this church and others buried next door and yet alive in Christ who sweated, who swung a hammer, who gave money, who prayed, who taught Sunday school, who led kids on VBS and, and, and whatever else. We need to thank God for the godly heritage of this church. You know, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I, I'd like to expand on it, but I'm not, I'm not going to attempt to right now. The second is we don't just stop there. And if you heard Carol's remarks at the outset, she talked not only about people at work at present and, and, and those who had made a start for us in the past, but she talked about seeing what the Lord has yet ahead for our church. So second is welcome and embrace the new things that God is doing. Welcome and embrace the new things that God is doing. God is always doing a new thing, Isaiah 43, verse 19. Welcome the, the folks who are newer to our midst. Just out of curiosity, let, how, how many of y'all have been at Flat Branch for, let's start big, 50 years or more? Raise your hand. Look at them. There's a bunch of hands up. 50 years. How about, let's give them a hand. 
All right, join those hands up if you've been here 25 years or more. 25 years or more. Great, good deal for y'all too. All right, 10 years, raise your hand. All right. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the house down just a minute, all right? Um, let's have a different show of hands. How about those who have been here for three years or less? How about that? Three years or less. There's, there's a bunch of hands. Three years or less. Give them a hand. How about that? Welcome and embrace the new things that God is doing. Zechariah says, do not despise the day of small things. Your sermon outline, just for a moment, indulge me. If you'll turn it over on the back. I've made a partial list. This is not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. But I am going to give a few shout-outs, if I may. Um, just in one year's time, some of the things that we've seen the Lord do. Uh, call a new pastor. I have November. Actually, I, my official start date was November 1st last year. I, but the congregation voted to call me uh, uh, last October. So it's been a, been a year. Second, create a, uh, created a new digital instant church directory. So we either have or will have some hard copy directories, pictorial directories, where you can put names with faces, and they have contact information. We'll have a few hard copies available, but the cool thing is the app. I'd like to talk all about it. I won't. But Carolyn Frazier, um, she did tons of work inputting that data for us and making sure we had pictures of people. And Carolyn also served as our anniversary committee chair. But Instant Church Directory, it's a free app everybody in the church can have. If you don't yet have it and you're struggling to put names with faces, I look at my, my Instant Church Directory app, I look at it every week. It's a great, great thing. I'll stop there. A new logo. You see that on the front side of your bulletin. New logo. This was done by a friend of mine, uh, Chris Harrell. He had hoped to be here today, but had uh, an out-of-town family obligation. But he's a designer up in Cary. If you're interested, it's uh, creativeidesign.com. I, I can give you that website afterwards if you need some work done. creativeidesign.com. A newly refreshed website. If you haven't gone and looked recently, please go and look. It's not just a, a billboard out there on the desert of the internet. It's uh, a resource center. And that's thanks to Charlie Aslan. Charlie's one of our newer members seated down here near the front. It's, it's really good. You ought to go and check it out. We do, have, uh, we do have one picture that I'm aware that we need to update. It's a photo of the congregation that uh, is dated, and we're, we'll look to get one of you wonderful people soon and put that there. Uh, the sale of the church van, uh, Dwayne Lee uh, spearheaded that effort, and I understand it was not a simple task, sifting through low-ball offers and folks who were just messing around and what have you, but he got that done for us. Um, we've got Becky and Miss Debbie are up in the nursery today. We have a nursery that's available that people are making use of, and that's been since uh, last month now. And I appreciate Becky stepping to the fore, and we, we were stuck. Were we stuck, Chris? We were stuck 
trying to get that thing going for months, round and round. And Becky gave some leadership and coordination organization to that. Now we've got the nursery available for people again. Um, the sale of land. Last week after our congregational meeting, uh, our, uh, after worship at the congregational meeting, our folks overwhelmingly voted to go ahead and to uh, give the elders permission to seek to sell two parcels of land belonging to the church here so that we can build a, a ADA handicapped accessible bathroom adjacent to the sanctuary here. If you're around Flat Branch to Life, the church, and you know, uh, you know it's a real need. Bathroom's not real, about, about as exciting and, uh, as the garbage area. Uh, but they're called necessary rooms for a reason, right? Okay. So, so there's that uh, as well. By the way, we have one ADA accessible bathroom, so our afternoon together today in a few minutes when we go and eat together, let's leave that ADA accessible bathroom across from the kitchen. Let's leave that for those who need it. If, if like me, you're able-bodied enough to go up or downstairs, we have uh, both men's and women's restrooms in our uh, other wing of the building here, both upstairs and down. So please avail yourself to those. Uh, the, the last three items I'm not going to expand on because they're just a couple of ideas I, I had. Uh, through ECO, you can do a demographic study so we can understand better the area that God has placed us in as we seek to be a blessing to the community where God has placed us. And I see that already evident way before I came on the scene that our church uh, does that with the way you, you connect with the fire department across the way and schools in the area and such. So anyway, through ECO, that mission insight study is free to us. Uh, I can't remember if there's a fee or not. I think it's free, the church governance course, governance course but some other things. And, and others, you might have ideas. How can we excel still more? Where can we go as a congregation? How can we continue to bear much fruit and glorify our Father? who's in heaven. So thank God for the godly heritage. Welcome embrace the new things that God is doing. Uh, third, where can we go from here? Don't romanticize the past. Don't romanticize the past. Appreciate the past. We all benefit from the past, but don't romanticize it. There's just this natural tendency for people to look back with fondness on the good old days with selective memories and only remember the good parts. Uh, Presbyterian pastor Derek Thomas says, nostalgia leads to paralysis. And that happens in the church. Nostalgia, where like the, like the mixed bag, people rejoicing at some progress, but people weeping because it's just not as good as it used to be. And that spirit can pervade the church and it can keep you from moving forward together. Because last time I checked, God is still on the throne and he's still in the business of making new creatures in Christ and helping you and I who are believers to walk in newness of life by faith every day. God's not done with us yet. Don't romanticize the past. Remember Lot's wife. That's from uh, Genesis 19. You know, she was leaving a place behind, but she turned back and looked and what happened? She turned to a pillar of salt. Better yet, Ecclesiastes 7.10. 
one of my favorite verses. It says, why do you regard the former days and say, why were those days better than these? It is not because of wisdom that you do this. I'm going to say it one more time. Ecclesiastes 7.10. Why do you regard the former days and say, why were those days better than these? It is not because of wisdom that you do this. In other words, nostalgia, paralysis, longing for the good old days. I have a tendency to do that in my life. Um, college, I came to know Jesus, and it was such a fun and exciting time in my life. And I can look back and idealize that time or, or kind of pine away for it in a way that becomes unhealthy. It's good to appreciate it, but to pine away over it and to sit around and mourn over it and not to, to move forward, that's not helpful. You can get involved in a, a comparison trap that isn't good. Remember, in Haggai too, the Lord said, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For it keep seeking Christ and reach out with the love of Christ. Keep seeking Christ. In Philippians 3, part of what Paul says is he forget, he, he, he tried to forget about what lay behind and to press on towards the goal of the, uh, his, his calling, the upward pr prize in Christ. In the great words of the theologian Buzz Lightyear, onward and upward, right? Onward and upward. And, and that was sort of Paul's thought there. Well, the gospel tells us that Jesus came to the temple, right? The people of old that we've read about, they thought the good times were going to roll, but their restoration was only partial. It had to be realized in the one true king, the one who is both God and man, the one who is the perfect prophet, perfect priest, and perfect king. And Jesus did suddenly come. To his temple once at the right time and as an infant he was presented at the temple as a boy he was in the temple being about his heavenly father's business and then during his public ministry he cleansed the temple and he prophesied about the temple saying if you strike this temple down i'll raise it up again in three days and he wasn't talking about that foundation of stone he was talking about himself and having the power of an indestructible life and the power of resurrection life within him and that's what happened our Jesus was struck down but he took his own life up again the grave could not hold him and so you and I can reach out with the love of Christ and we can we can be exercise hospitality welcoming one another sharing the gospel with those around. So let's not be paralyzed at Flat Branch. Let's move forward together to worship the Lord. Let's pray.